deserve it, you deserve it. We give glory to He who is worthy, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And may the Lamb receive His reward.
If you're in here tonight and you need one of these things, I want you to raise your hand. If you need physical, mental, or emotional healing, I want you to show me your hand. Come on. Physical, mental, or emotional healing. Okay, can you guys be bold and come to the front? Everybody who raised their hand, I want you to come up. Just line up right here. Right in the front right here. Okay, y'all just back up a little bit. All you students, y'all come see. I want you guys to pray for them. Every one of y'all come pass by me. The rest of the church, can y'all just extend your hands to these students? I mean, to these these uh, people at the altar. Okay, guys, y'all go lay your hands on them. Just, just on their forehead or start to pray for them. If they, look, Logan, go on the end over here. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. Lord, she was just singing it. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we declare healing right now. We declare healing. God, we thank you for healing right now. Physical healing in Jesus' name. We command every ailment to leave in Jesus' name. We command every mental disorder to be aligned up with the Word of God. Anxiety, stress, in Jesus' name, we break the power. Every lie that the enemy has spoken in Jesus' name, we declare broken over the minds of the people of God. We thank you, God, for freedom in Jesus' name. Just start to thank him. Start to thank him for what he's done. 
Thank him. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you're the healer. Thank you, God. He said, a thankful heart is a sacrifice that he will not reject. See, the enemy's plan is to cripple the church. If he can cripple us, he can incapacitate us. He can stop us from doing the things that God has called us to do. But can I tell you tonight, with all the confidence that's in my heart, that Jesus has called us and he has empowered us to walk in victory in spite of the things that we face in spite of the things that, that come against us, like the Word of God says He always leads us in triumphant victory. Either He's the truth or He's not. And I say He's the truth. I hear people say all kind of different things and this, the teenagers in this, this uh, generation, you know, if they think something is the best of that kind, like, if there's a song they like or their shoes they like or there's a restaurant they like you hear them say something like oh that team is the truth which means it's the best They're the, but can I tell you Jesus is the truth Jesus is the truth and there is no other truth in him he is the epitome of truth and so we trust him and we trust that he is made us he has made us victorious and so Lord, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for what you did in each and every person that, that needed healing. God, we thank you that the gifts are alive. They're active in the church. We thank you that your spirit is present, that you're here tonight. Lord, we thank you that you strive with your people. That God, you love us so much that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And Lord, you have good plans for your people. You're faithful. You're just. You're righteous. You're true. You're holy. And we bless you tonight, God. We bless your name and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. How's everybody doing on this chilly Wednesday night? Thank you, Elena. Appreciate you so much. How many enjoy Elena's worship? Love it. Yeah, we're so, I mean, we are blessed. We have her. She, she felt called to come and, and lead the worship team upstairs, and she's actually developing a team, and we're so thankful for that. But she's a young woman of integrity, and she's not just full of integrity. She's not just anointed, but she actually is talented too. You know, they have people who are full of integrity and anointed, but they're not very talented. And God used them, but she got the full package, so we're thankful for her. 
We bless you, Elaine. Appreciate your gifts. We really do. All right. Well, how many brought your Bible tonight? I see you. I see you, buddy. How many people have your Bible on your phone? Is that the norm now? I, you know, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I, and I bring my Bible just because I, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if it's kind of religious of me, but I just love to have my Bible. But to be honest with you, transparent, you know, when I'm sitting here on a Sunday morning and they're going through scriptures, they're moving too fast for me to get to them. Like, so I'm opening it up, and by the time I find it, it's already on the screen, and they read it, and he's talking about something else. So I'm caught between trying to follow along the scripture, listen to what he's saying. And so I was like, well, maybe I can get more out of it if I don't try to, like, keep up. Maybe I just take notes like my wife does. Pastor Josh used to say, note takers are history makers. But, so, I don't even actually have to do it. I can just go use hers. So, I'm blessed like that. All right, if you have your Bible, I want to take you guys to Matthew chapter 4. How many people know what that is just by hearing the chapter? Sam, you want to point tonight, man? Matthew chapter 4. Just going to read it real quick. If you have your Bible and you are there, say I'm there. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. I am reading out of the New King James Version. It says this. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus once again said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So he gives him a picture of the whole world, and he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, we've all heard this scripture. We've all read it. I'm assuming most people have heard it or read it. And so I was, I was driving a couple of days ago, and I was listening to a sermon, and somebody had quoted the scripture, and it just jumped out at me, and I, you know, because I hadn't had a message yet for tonight, and I said, Lord, is this something you want me to talk about? And I felt uh, pressed to just kind of dig into it a little bit. So I feel like I extracted what the Lord has for me to give to you guys tonight. Uh, I don't feel like we'll be too long, but we're going to go ahead and dive into it. First of all, God created humans a little bit lower than the angels. That's what the scripture says, right? Why did he do that? I believe it's a good picture of God. Okay, so look at this. God said he created humans a little bit lower than the angels. It was a way for God to reveal how he can take something that was a little less powerful, 
right? Because the angels were, were, they were more powerful than humans, but yet he wraps himself in flesh. So he comes as a human and he takes something that's a little less powerful, but yet it's completely yielded to him. And he overthrows or is, and becomes greater than that which was an angel, which was by his definition a little higher than humans. He takes an angel, I mean, he takes a human, which is a little lower than an angel, and he defeats an angel, which is a little higher, but it's full of rebellion. So they've got this, you've got this dynamic where you got the angel is greater, the human is a little lower, but he takes the human who's a little lower but's fully submitted and he defeats one which was Lucifer or Satan which was higher than humans but he was full of pride, arrogance, bitter, all that stuff. And so it was like, it just like God to say, I can take something less than you are and defeat you when they're fully submitted to me. I thought it was a pretty picture. Uh, Hebrews 2, 6 through 7, it says this. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, but you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have set him over the works of your hands. So God did this. He, he took Jesus. He took one that was wrapped in flesh, the son of God, and he overthrew this enemy, and it was a picture of just... God's, his vastness and his wisdom and his, you know, he says in the scriptures, he says, I will take the foolish things of the world and I will use them to confound the wise. And that's not really where I'm going with this message. But I just, I thought it was interesting that God took somebody who was considered lower than the angel in, in esteem and he used him to defeat one which was technically supposed to be higher. Is, am I making sense? I thought it was pretty cool. But the three temptations... If I asked you what the first temptation that Satan brought to Jesus in the desert, what would you say it is? Do you remember? Food, is that right? That's what I thought. But the reality is this. The first thing that the enemy brought to Jesus in the desert that he tempted him with, the way I read my Bible was this. It was pride. Because what was the question that he asked him? If you are the son of God. You see, Satan's fall was pride. So he figured if he fell because of this, this sin, that this is the thing that gripped him. The very first thing he brought to Jesus was he tried to see if he was prideful. If you're the son of God, do what? Turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, if you really are the son of God, throw yourself down from this, this pinnacle and he, he'll, he'll have his angels catch you because you won't, you won't dash your foot on the stone. So he first and foremost comes to Jesus and he tempts him with this vicious and terrible sin of pride. Do you know he does the same thing to us? Next thing he did was he tempted Jesus with the stones. He said, if, if you're the son of God, take these stones, turn them into bread. So he tempted him with providing for himself, not relying on God. So Jesus was out there 40 days, right? 
Now, we know he was hungry. Like, 40-day fast, I know a few people that, that have completed those. And so he, Jesus' greatest physical need in that moment, in his physical body, was he, was he needed food. He needed sustenance. And so it's looking like it's an opportunity for the enemy to say, well, God hasn't provided you food yet. So if you are the son of God, I mean, 40 days has passed, go ahead. Turn those stones into bread. Go ahead and provide for yourself. I mean, God loves you, right? You're the son of God, right? Like, like he was trying to trick him. He was trying to, to get him to make a decision, to make a move that was outside of God's will. Next was the temptation to, to do what? To test God. How did he do that? It is written, I'm sorry, then the devil took him up to the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. So he tempted him to test God. He tempted him to, to, to test, like, think about it. He's out there. He's, he's doing the will of God. He... He comes to him, and he's like, if you're really the son of God, you know, there's scriptures that say that he would, you would not dash your foot on a stone. There's scriptures in the Bible that he would catch you, that he would keep his, his angels, they would keep charge over you. And so if that's who you really are, if you really belong to him, right, he was, he was pushing him. He was trying to get him to test God. But the reality is we often do this ourselves by basing whether or not we trust God off the stipulations or the expectations that we put on him, and we actually don't weigh them against the word of God. You know, there were people that I've met in times past that they, they answered altar calls, they gave their self to Jesus, and I mean, they did it with their mouth. I don't, obviously, I don't think they did it with their whole heart, because a couple months or so later, they're not serving the Lord and I'll come and talk to him, and I'll, I'll ask him, just inquiring, hey, man, what's going on? You know, why aren't you still walking with the Lord? And I'll never forget there was a one person that told me this. He said, man, I tried it. He said, I tried it. He said, as soon as I gave myself to Jesus, he said, things got worse than they ever did for me in my life. This was his response to me. He said, it, it just... I mean, and he started to, he quote a couple of scriptures about God's supposed to never leave you, never forsake you, all those things like that. And so he obviously wasn't governed by the full counsel of God. He wasn't searching and seeking out through the scriptures because the reality is God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But we get tricked into thinking that when we face hard times or hard situations that this is, this is the standard. If, okay, something happens in our life and we're like, God, it ha we, need an, we need this answer and we need it to happen at this time. And we decide if God doesn't answer us the way we want him, how we want him, we decide that God is not for us, God is not with us, and God doesn't really love us. This is one of the things that causes people to walk away from the church. Like, so often, because they have these stipulations in their heart. I heard somebody say a long time ago, they said that, you know, people come into the church, they step on God's back because they're in a situation. And 
God, he, he ministers to them, he heals on them, but they stand on him and they have this thing in their heart where they're either after power, pleasure, or possession, one of these three things. And whenever things don't go their way, they just, they decide that God wasn't ever really for them and they go about their business. But Jesus tells a parable. He talks about that. He says that the thorns come up and it's the riches and the deceit of this world that drown out the seed of God that was planted in their heart. Some of the things that, that, that will cause people to think. See, we, what happens is we make decisions, not based off of God's direction. And I'll be the first to say that I've made decisions that I, I did not diligently seek God's counsel on. But this is what people do. People get in the wrong kind of relationships without seeking God's approval on it, not seeking God's direction on it. They'll, they'll make financial decisions and their things will go wrong, and then they'll blame it on God. They won't take, you know, responsibility for the decisions they make, or things just happen to them in their life. Like, sometimes life just hits us. Like, we get things come out of nowhere, and they're like, I can't believe this is happening to me. God's supposed to love me. He's supposed to be for me. He's not supposed to be against me. If God, like you hear it, if I watch a lot of street preachers go out on YouTube and just watch them minister to people, and you'll hear people say things like this all the time. They'll say, if God's supposed to be loving, if he's supposed to be all good and all knowing, then how can he let such and such happen to this person and good people die and all this stuff? And the reality is that Jesus said, in this life, you will have troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Like, it was not a surprise to Jesus that we were going to go through things. I mean, he did. He was the son of God. But people have this very artificial, very shallow relationship with God. They're like, I'm just going to give it a try. I'm going to give the church a try to see if it makes me feel better, see if I can get what I want out of God. But they never realize that when we come to Christ, we're supposed to come to him with all that we have. And we're supposed to trust him with all that he says he can trust us with or we can trust him with. Jesus was also, so listen, the enemy, he comes to him and he says, he says, if, if you would bow down to me, I would give you all this stuff. Now he knew Jesus was due all honor and glory. He knew it. The devil knew it. All honor and glory belong to Jesus. But being as stupid as he was, what he tried to do is he tried to substitute his honor and say, here, I'll give you power. And he tried to substitute the glory that Jesus deserved. And he said, here, I'll give you riches. I'll give you this power. I'll give you this riches. All you have to do is you have to come and bow down and worship me. See, he was in it for the worship. Satan wanted to be worshiped. He wanted Jesus to lay down on his face and worship him. But Jesus was the only one that was worthy of worship. All honor, all glory, all power belongs to the Lamb. Right? So he tries to trick him again. He tries to trick him with, 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 with popularity, notoriety, all that stuff. He's trying to get his attention. And Jesus says, I mean, let me read this. You ever been given, I'm just thinking for a minute, you ever been, somebody ever tried to like, 
Okay, so wealth was one of the things that we get tripped up by, right? It's one of the, we're in this world. We're in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. But wealth, it's something that it pulls at us. It drives us. It gets, because the reality is money makes life easier. So it's one of those cares of this world that, am I saying people of God and the kingdom of heaven can't be financially good and, and set? I believe that God wants his people to be blessed. But the pursuit of it instead of him is where the problem is. When you pursue him, and the finances come through his kingdom, through his resources, the way he wants to do it because he can trust you. I believe there's kingdom order to that. But people get distracted by wealth. People, we get lured by notoriety. Like we, wanna, we want people to know us. We want people to like us. Popularity, praise, possessions, worldly satisfaction. Trap, 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 trap. All that stuff is a trap. But these are things... Every time we, we turn our attention, see Matthew 6, is supposed to be stamped on our hearts where it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things that we need, it'll be added unto us. But we get so consumed, and this happens in the church too. We come to church, we, we, we listen to Christian radio, we have Christian friends, we, we listen to the right music, we have the right t-shirts, we say the right things in public and all this stuff, but deep down in our hearts that people that we, even inside the church, we care so much about what people think about us. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't want people to like us. I want to be an influential man, I do. I want to be a person... You know, somebody said this a long time ago to me, and it stuck with me. They said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, I want to influence people into the kingdom. I want to be a blessing to Elena as she's up in this class, to April, all you, my friends in here, all you people that I spend a lot of time with. Like, I want to invest in people. I do want you to like me. But it's not that I want you to like me so I'm popular, I want to be able to invest in your lives. I want to be able to influence you in the kingdom. I want you to know that you can trust me. You can trust what I say. You can trust what I'm thinking, that you know I don't have ulterior motives. So I'm not saying it's bad that we want people to like us, but when we're driven by the affirmation of people instead of the affirmation of God, it's a problem. We're essentially bowing down to the enemy every time we, we desire to be affirmed by other people instead of by God, if that makes sense. Possessions, simple stuff. Like, people get driven by this stuff. Like, their whole week, their whole month, their whole year, their whole lives get consumed with, yes, they go to church. Yes, they, they sow their time. They do all these things. But their energy, their focus, all their desire, all their efforts, their goal at the end of their life, the biggest dream, the biggest aspiration in their heart is a retirement plan. And I heard Francis Chan say this. He pulls this massive long white rope on a stage and at the very end of it, on the tip of it, he's got a little section. It's about that big and it's got red tape on it. And he says, you know, this little red tape, this represents our time here on earth. And it's actually an understatement because eternity is forever. So there's, there's, there's literally no measurement that's comparable. I can take a grain of sand and I can drop it in the middle of the ocean and say that grain of sand is our lifespan and the ocean is eternity. That pales into comparison to an actual scale of what it looks like. 
That's not even, it's not even comparable because it's much greater, much grander. But he said, we spend our whole life worried about this little tiny section, this little piece. He said, and we, we're going to spend all of this. He said, you work hard, you, you save money, you do all these things. So this little tiny edge of it at the end so you can be comfortable instead of preparing for the rest of it. So we do that. The, the enemy tricks us, and he keeps us cornerly minded. He keeps us focused. I'm not saying it's bad to have a, a retirement plan. I'm not saying the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I'm not saying these are bad things. I'm saying in kingdom perspective that God's kingdom has to be first, that he says if you seek me first, all these other things will be added. They'll be the byproduct. They'll be the benefit, the, the fruit of of seeking me first, of seeking my will, seeking my pleasure for your life, my purposes. But we get trapped, even as you young teenagers. Guess what? I was a teenager before. I know how hard it is to think past five minutes from now. I, I understand that. But you guys have something that a lot of teenagers don't have. You're being brought to church. You're being discipled in the Word of God. And I'm telling you, there's more than what those phones are showing you. There's more out there for your life that God has for you, and it's found inside his word and inside his presence. But he tricks people. The enemy tricks people with, with all these things, and it's, this is what it is. It's a bad deal. It's exactly what he tried to do to Jesus. He's like, hey, go ahead. I'll give you all this power, all these possessions. All you, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And it's like, bro, it's all his anyway. Like, you ever got sold a lemon, for lack of better terms? Y'all understand that terminology? Have y'all heard that before? Y'all probably, you younger ones. What it means is uh, somebody would take a car that really was junk, and they would make it look good. They'd do some things to make it run well for a little while, but it wasn't worth the... Uh, much and they overprice it and sell it to somebody and they thought they got a good deal and after about a week or so somebody would realize this was really a piece of trash car i paid way too much for it they call it a lemon it's a lemon bro the devil is trying to sell the church a lemon he's trying to get us distracted on this life when this is so temporary it's so temporary we 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 reach for promotion with man. Does that make sense? We, we want to be elevated by men when we should actually, greater than anything, be looking to be promoted in the spirit. That it doesn't matter. Like, look, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your physical circumstance look like compared to what you look like in the eyes of Jesus. Because he moves mountains he does stuff that nobody else can do. He opens doors that nobody can shut. He closes doors nobody can open. And so we get caught up. I, I'm guilty of it myself. Like, it's the rat race of life where we, you know, you try to uh, politic with people and you shake hands and you, and you try to meet people and get in front of people and, and you, all this stuff, like you notice and you try to do things. It's, it's a level of manipulation where you're trying to get yourself into a better position. And God's saying, don't you know that those who humble themselves, I exalt. I'd rather, I'd rather humble myself 
and be exalted to where God wants me, then highest, the highest place that I can bring myself in my own strength. Even if it means I had the potential to become a state senate or even the president of the United States, I'd rather go to God's highest place for me because I've humbled myself than bring myself to my highest platform because they, there's no comparison because what he has for our lives is so much greater than what we can do for ourselves and what we can allow the enemy to trick us into. We search for pleasures in this world when our full satisfaction comes from what or it should. Him, absolutely. It really says that in the Bible. It says this, Psalm 1611, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who's at the right hand of God? Come on. Jesus. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's the finisher of our faith. The Bible says he's the alpha in Revelations, and it says he's the omega. Like he's all the things the enemy tries to trick us with, to persuade us with, to, to lead us with, all that stuff that we fall for, what we're really looking for is Christ. Really looking for him. It's the temptation that he, all the things he tried to do to Jesus, he's trying it on us now. He's trying it on the church. But all of those things that we would be tripped up by, we would be, all, all of it is found in Christ. Let me read something to you. It says the Alpha and the Omega. The metaphysical definition for Omega in the Greek, these are some words that explain what it, what it looks like. It means the last, it means the end, it means the objective, it means the fulfillment, it means the consummation, it means the perfection, and it means the restitution. This is Christ. He's all of it. So the enemy plays this game with our minds and with our hearts, and he puts the same lures out there all the time. He puts out appetites for for pleasure, he, he puts out appetites for prosperity, for comfort. You know, that's why people get addicted to drugs. They can't cope. And they, and just to get a little peace in their mind, you know, I've got family members that are, they're so, I mean, I got, a, I got an aunt that's got a whole pharmacy in her purse at any given time. For real, don't say you got a headache around her because she'll try to slip you something. Like, but this is, this is like, this is the world's go-to. This is, and it's sad because we're looking for something to, to satisfy us, to complete us. And it really is found in Christ. Every time the enemy came to Jesus, what did he tell him? It's what? It's written. No, it's written. Every time the enemy comes to you, all you got to do is find out what's written. Every time you start to feel the pull of the enemy on your life, I promise you, I promise you this. If you're genuinely seeking God with your heart, you will know when you're pursuing the wrong thing. You will feel it. You will lose God's peace on the inside of you. 
There's absolutely no satisfaction once you experience Christ. There's nothing else that can even come close to satisfying. You know, I've, my wife and I, we, I like to watch a little television at night before we go to bed. We got a couple of shows we watch. We're very careful about what we put before our eyes. But it's like, even when that becomes too much, it's like, sometimes I'll turn the TV on and I immediately feel the grief from it. I'm like, this is so empty. It's so void. It's not, it's not going to give me rest. It's not going to give me relaxation. It's not going to give me satisfaction. It's not going to give me peace. Only Jesus Christ. And we just have to finally decide whether or not we believe that. That the enemy wants to trick you into thinking something else is going to do it. Something else is going to keep you. Something else is going to maintain. And all he's doing is selling lemons. He's selling bad dreams. He's selling false hopes. He's selling destruction. He's selling hate. David Wilkerson, he brings you to the place where you're so lost. David Wilkerson called it this. He said, they become satisfied sinners. Where the rat hole gets so deep that people get trapped inside this where you're actually given over to a, a depraved mind, where you don't even understand how good Jesus is anymore. That he would pull drug addicts that would be 14, 15, 16 years old, living in basements, abandoned for four or five years by themselves, shooting heroin, go in there, rescue them, take them out, put them in a clean bed with clean sheets, give them food, have men of God who've gone through the program, staying with them all night while they detox, praying for them. And a week or two into the program, one of these young men, screaming in the middle of the night, woke up and ran out of the program. And David said he followed him and, and, and finally found him a couple weeks later. And the, and the young man told him, he said, you know, David, I can't believe you did what you did to me. And he's like, son, what are you talking about? What do you mean? He said, you took me out of my place of comfort. You got to remember this guy is 15, 16 years old, parents are both dead, living in an abandoned basement for four years, shooting heroin. I don't know how he's getting money, probably stealing it, no telling what. And he comes and gets rescued. God pulls him out of his place, puts him in a program that could change his life, and he leaves because he tells him, you took me out of my place of comfort. I was happy there. That's what the young man said. I was happy. I was satisfied. This was my life. You changed everything about it. I didn't ask you to do that satisfied sinner that your mind is so far gone and the sad part about it is the story goes six months later they found the young man dead and this is the trap that starts with the lure one step at a time and if he did it to Jesus rest assured he's doing it to you to y'all each one of you students, each adult in here, myself, the enemy is trying to lure you away from the king so that he can separate you forever. But this is my encouragement to you. That the Bible says that there's no temptation that's come upon a person that Jesus himself that has not endured. That there's power there's power in the gospel. There's freedom. There's, that's why it says that we become born again. That Jesus said, unless you be born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. That there's a new 
life that comes inside of the believer. And with that new life is available new strength. <laughs> Not that we can do it in our own strength, but God gives us a way of escape through his son's blood and through the power of the spirit of God that lives inside of us. So if you've been dealing with some of these things that I kind of touched on tonight, because look, it's going to pull at all of us. It really does. I know people that have laid on their deathbed, 75, 85 years old, still filled with bitterness, rejection, anger, cursing God on their way out. Because somewhere along the way, the enemy tricked them with just a little hook, put a little hook in their mouth and pulled them slowly but surely. And they never knew the truth of the gospel. They never experienced God's love. They never experienced his mercy. They never forgave, whatever the case may be. And oftentimes that's somebody that served God at some level, some capacity. But it's dangerous to give them half your heart. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to give him just a piece of yourself. We don't want to be those people. We want to give them all of our heart. You agree with that? Whole heart. But if you've been experiencing some of those things or, or you become numb to the voice of God, this is my prayer for you, that you would just, he's good. God is good. He's faithful. That you would just cry out to him. Say, Lord, you know, Keith Green, you know that, so, that song, Lord, you're beautiful. When he wrote that song, it came from a place that he was sitting up at 1, 2 in the morning. And he said, you know, I realized my heart was getting hard. And I, he wrote it. He said, so I, I decided to write a letter to God. I didn't know where to put it, so I put it in my Bible. But the letter went something uh in this manner, he said, you know, Lord, my heart's, been hard, my heart's been hard for a while now. And God, I don't want to be hard. I want to be sensitive. Lord, can you give me baby skin? Can you give me baby skin? I want my heart to be soft and tender before you that I can feel your unction and your, and your leading because I just feel hard. I feel, and becoming hard to God comes from a place of rebelling, slight rebellion, God's pricks, where he leads you and you say, I'll say yeah to this, Lord, but I'll say no to that. I'll say yeah to this, Lord, but I'll say no to that. And the more you say no, I believe the harder it is to hear him. Because he doesn't want our no, he wants our full yes. And so if you feel like you've become just a little hard in areas in your heart, or you feel like the enemy is, he's kind of getting you off track a little bit. I'm telling you, it can be rectified with a simple, genuine prayer in your heart. You can say, God, I don't want to build my own kingdom. I don't want to live my life for myself. I don't want to pursue my own dreams. Lord, I want you to put your dreams inside of me and keep me the course. You know, recently, and I'll just be a little, I'll be a little transparent with you guys. I recently went through a, uh, I had lost a job that was perfect for ministry. And my heart, God knows my heart is to, to, to serve the church and I feel called to this and and so Christy and I have been faithfully serving here for five years, and, and we love it. And um, I lost a job that was allowing me to, to come to this place and, and do the things I felt like God was leading me to do. We got moved into the youth pastor's position. And so 
the brook dried up. I didn't have a, a job. And, and so the only thing that opened up was, was something in Lake Charles, and I was driving two hours every day, and the, it was 24-7 call. And I just knew that the time was coming where this thing was going to get busy, and it was going to pull me away from this thing. And I said, God, I, I'll, I'm taking this job because I have to provide for my family. But, Lord, you know, like you know what, you know my heart is to do what you've called me to do. And, and, and don't you know he opened a door for me right here locally just last week that's going to continue to allow me and my family to serve in this ministry. And, and not that ministry is relationship. That's not what I'm saying. But my heart is to do God's will for our life. It's not retirement. It's not financial security in a sense where I have more stuff and all this thing. I just want us to finish our race well. And I believe there are so many people that abandon the call of God on their life on the altar of, of success in certain areas. And I don't want to be that. And so if there's something in your life that, that may be just pulling you just a little bit away from the Lord, maybe you teenagers, if God's calling you somewhere or he put a dream in your heart and you know he's supposed to be leading you, he's leading you in a direction, and there's something's caught your eye that's luring you away from it, just become sensitive before him. Because God will take a willing heart. He can work with that. A willing heart and an obedient spirit. He can work with that. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus tonight, Lord, that you are patient and merciful with your people. God, you are the healer. Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you that, Lord, you, you said you always lead us in triumphant victory, that we can trust you. God, you have good plans for our life and you have a mission for us to accomplish. Lord, we just pray right now, God, that you would tenderize our hearts tonight. Lord, that you would make us pliable, that we would be good clay in your hands, God. Lord, that we would not be resistant, we would not be rebellious. Jesus, we pray for your convictions to come upon us. God, help us to be people who fully trust you because you're trustworthy. When we see you, when we finally set our eyes on you, we're going to know once and for all, finally, God, how good you really are. But Jesus, help us to know that well before we ever leave this earth. We love you. We love you so much, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Bless y'all.